Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. Throughout my ministry career, I have had the unique opportunity to witness Jesus lovers go after the kingdom of God on this earth. I've also noticed that for every person who runs hard after God, the book of Acts is perhaps their favorite book in all of the New Testament. And rightfully so, because the book of Acts is where the Holy Spirit through ordinary people manifest the kingdom and the power of God upon this earth. And as you read chapter 1 through 19 of the book of Acts, there is a clear picture, a vivid portrayal of the power and dynamism and supernaturalism of the Holy Spirit in ordinary people. And I watch so many of us We pray into and we seek and we petition God for the first 19 chapters of Acts in a way to realize in our life in modern times as it did way back there in the first century. But I've also noticed that folk are hardly aware that the book of Acts also has a chapter 20, a chapter 21, all the way through chapter 28. And it just so happens that The vast majority of fervent, on-fire Jesus seekers that I meet have no idea what goes on in Acts chapter 20 through 28. Why? Because it's just a little bit boring. There's just not a lot of Holy Spirit action. There is a prophecy or two at best, and there's a snake handling a little bit, But there's just not a lot going on in the narrative. Compared to chapter 1 through 19, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. People are praising God. People speak in tongues they had never learned. Lame people are jumping up and praising God. Prison doors are opening up. There is the prophesying. There is the baptism. There's thousands of people coming to God. There's a Gentile person coming to God. There's the missionary journeys. And the Holy Spirit is so tangible, so evidential, just about on every page of Acts 1 through 19. Come to Acts 20, and it all stops. And that's why a lot of us don't even read that narrative. Why? Because it's just void of Holy Spirit action. Some people have even concluded that, see, There's no Holy Spirit action in chapter 20 and onward. That's why the Holy Spirit is not relevant anymore. And the power of God is not for us because it it stopped. I want to present to you another aspect of the book of Acts. It's almost as though the Acts of the Apostles is a play with Act 1, chapter 1 through 19, and Act 2. Act 1 is very much Holy Spirit-induced. But dare we say that in Act 2, the Holy Spirit goes on vacation? 
unless something else is really going on. And in this session, I want to clue you in on the Holy Spirit's work past chapter 19 and how that applies to you and I to this very day. If you read the initial 19 or so chapters of Acts, which most people do soak up, enjoy, study, you will see from Acts chapter 1 till about 19 or so, there is just sign and wonder and places shake and there's Peter's shadow that heals and, and Paul's sweat handkerchief. You know, people would even touch... At one time, accidentally, we think Paul's handkerchief, his sweat that transferred into his handkerchief, his sweatband, had the presence of God on it. Like God somehow saturated into Paul's sweat, which is a symbol of the curse, transformed it into a symbol of healing. It's kind of interesting. But they touched this headband. Paul was a tent maker. He worked with his hands. And that handkerchief, historically, is actually a sweatband. Like we would say a bandana, if you will. And maybe Paul is, you know, working. I don't know what it would have looked like. And he takes his sweatband off and puts it down. And somebody walks by and, oh, oh, what just happened? Kind of like that lady that just touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Like the virtue of Jesus went out of him through his garment into another person. Saturated with, 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 with God and... Maybe just somebody walked by and bumped into Paul's handkerchief. And, oh, what just happened? Holy Spirit action everywhere. Demons going. And there's a man sitting by the temple all crippled and lame. And he gets up and he starts leaping and running and just praising God. And Paul's locked up in prison in the middle of the night. Acts 16. Angels open the door. There's just action, action, action. If you read the first 19 chapters, the hair on your body should stand up. You'd be like, wow, look at the power of God. But you'll see it comes to a screeching halt in chapter 20. Therefore, folk have concluded. Now you need to listen up. Because all the Holy Spirit action comes to almost an abrupt halt after chapter 19-ish, many folk have concluded. See? There's your evidence, the era of the power of God, the era of the wonders and awe, and the, the, the era of the Spirit-filled is over. And folk will fall on that sword, and they will prove it to you from the Bible. See, if you read now Acts 20, boring. If I were to ask you, do you know what happens in Acts 20, 21, 22, all the way till about 28-ish? Few people read that part of the book of Acts. Why? Because it's a little bit boring. <laughs> you know, Paul goes to Jerusalem. There's a little bit of a riot going on. He's sort of being threatened to, 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 to be killed. And 
and uh, he's taken out of the city of Jerusalem to Antipatris in the middle of the night. That's a little bit of, you know, suspense and action. And then he ends up in Caesarea uh, 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 Maritima down by the coast. And he appears before a king called Felix and Festus and Agrippa. And it's kind of like a trial going forth for two years. He's locked up in, in, in Caesarea. And um, I've been there. Every time I go to Caesarea, I'm, try I'm not interested in the palace where Herod lived. I'm trying to find out where's the cell they kept Paul in. I'm like, oh, Holy Spirit, lead me right now. <laughs> and then I fell into a ditch once and almost broke my leg, but okay. So, long story, long story. There's just not a lot going on. You know, Paul is like appearing before these dignitaries, and then he says, I appeal to Caesar. Take, take, take me to Caesar. So he gets on a boat, and then they ship him out, and then, you know, they end up on some island. And the only little bit of Holy Spirit action, the only little bit of sensationalism, if you will, it's when some snake bites Paul. And he's like, get off me. Anyway, where were we? He just moves on, picks up sticks, make a fire. And people in the island, they look at him like, what? Is this a god? They want to begin to worship him. And Paul's like, no, man, get over it. And so he ends up in Rome, and, and the book of Acts just stop. Now listen carefully to my point I want to make. Let me make the point of the cessationism view, and then let me make by the Lord's mercy, another counterpoint. For those who have ears, listen. So there's one view to interpret all of this. Action, 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 see. Yeah, that was the birth of the church. That was to sort of get the locomotive moving. and pick up some steam. And um, I know it's shocking. Yeah. So the, the argument is, or the, 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 the average theory is, you know, this big locomotive of the new covenant couldn't move. So the Holy Spirit is kind of this coal, and the steam is building up, and, and it goes, 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 goes. And now that the, the locomotive is on full steam and, and pulling the new covenant forward, we don't, we don't need it anymore to move the strain. It's already in motion. So they say, you know, all those things were needed to convince people, to, to, to get them into the fold, and, and, and to evangelize. And, 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 and now we, we just we don't need it anymore. And see, the book of Acts, actually, there is not a lot of action. There's one snake bite, just about. There's a, there's a little bit of a prophetic thing going on where Agabus, the prophet, you know, binds a, a belt, and he says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. He prophesies a little bit. He says, you're going to be bound in Jerusalem just this way. And Paul says, I don't care if I'm bound or not. He actually argues a little bit. It's an interesting uh, narrative. But a little bit of prophecy, a little snake bite. Other than that, not a whole lot. See, it all stopped. Is everybody with me? That's a convincing theory or a perspective or a view looking at this. I mean, I almost buy that. Something else is going on. Are you interested to hear uh, another view? Yes. <laughs> Let's start, first of all, with the book of Acts. We call it, or actually Luke called it, the Acts of the Apostles. This, is the, uh, this was the work of the Apostles. But can I challenge Luke for just a second? And hear me out. Luke 
does not narrate all of the actions of all of the apostles. Can you intellectually understand what I'm saying? Luke narrates a little bit of the actions of Peter, a little bit of the actions of Stephen, a little bit of the actions of Philip, and mostly the actions of Paul. Can you follow with me? So he calls it the Acts of the Apostles. This is the work and the ministry of the Apostles, but he is not telling us what Matthew did. He's not telling us what Andrew and Philip, who was with Jesus, and Nathaniel. He doesn't tell us what John the Apostle did. He's a little bit there initially in the beginning with, with Peter and John. We, 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 we pick up on James, the Lord's brother, a little bit. But by and large, it is not the complete narrative of all of the actions, that is, all of the works of all of the apostles. Can you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Even like the Gospels that you have, even the Gospel of John is not a complete record of all of the teaching and work of Jesus Christ. Can you follow with me? John the writer pulled out a couple of things that he wanted to impress you, and he says, clearly, I wrote these few things down, just these few things, so that you could believe. But if I was to write down everything that Jesus himself said and did, I suppose that not even the books of the world can contain the wealth of information and richness that comes from this man. So can you agree with me, intellectually, scholastically, that even the Gospel of John is a limited version of Jesus? Can you follow? Now, don't go make up other things. Just stick with what we have, people. Thank you, Joseph. We do not need the things of Jesus we don't have. What we do have is enough. And I'm still just trying to grapple with what is in there. The same is true for the book of Acts. Acts narrates a little bit of Peter, again, a little bit of Philip, a little bit of, uh, mostly of Paul. So I call it, this is just me, you'll find this nowhere else. I call it some of the acts of some of the apostles. Can you follow with me? Have I lost anybody so far? So people who would say things like this, they would say, well, that is just not in the book of Acts. You are as ignorant as they come. Because it is not the full account of what everybody did in the book of Acts. So we have a lot of people who would say, well, that's just not in the Bible. Of course it's not in the Bible. Otherwise, the libraries of this world would not contain all that happened in the first century. You get what I'm saying? When you speak like that, you're just scholastically a little bit still not quite there. It's some of the acts of Peter. We don't know the whole scope of Peter's life. Luke does not narrate that. We don't know the whole scope of Philip's ministry. We know some of it. We, there's a lot of the ministry of Paul when he was locked up in Rome and then released and then re-locked up. We don't know what happened in that release. He spent his time in Rome was set free, then again was captured. We don't, we don't have the full picture of... So we have some of the work, some of the miracles, some of the manifestations. So point number one is, you cannot say, well, that is not in the Bible. Now, a lot of us fabricate things. But it's not for me to judge. You and your fabrications, you have to be accountable to God. 
As for me, I keep my eyes closed so that my eyes are not on men. But I certainly am not going to say, well, that ain't in the Bible, so that's Satan. No, 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 no. Do not have that kind of a judgmental spirit because you're just you're voicing your own ignorance. If those folk fabricate the Holy Spirit, then let them fabricate. They'll stand before God on the fire. And that which is of gold will remain, and that which is of fluff will burn. It's not for you to burn them now. So, number one, don't have a critical, judgmental spirit uh, of other folk. Just let it be, and, and, and just don't say, well, that's not in the book of Acts, because we, it's only some of the work. So now, Luke is the one narrating. Let's get to the point here. He's narrating a, a story, and of course, Luke was the traveling companion of the apostle Paul. And so obviously he has a bias writing down his narrative. He's going to mostly relate what him and Paul did. While some people now say, see, God's no longer at work. This locomotive is on full steam. I say something altogether different. And here it is. The book of Acts, just like the book of Isaiah, just like the book of Ephesians, just like the book of Romans has almost two polarizing messages. Almost like it's point A and then point B, if you will. If you go read the book of Isaiah, you'll see that there's a flavor and a rhythm and a kind of a speaking that's one way, and then Isaiah in chapter 40 completely changes to a whole other rhythm. You'll see it in the book of Romans. You'll see it, for instance, in the book of uh, uh, Ephesians. Um, that there's just... It has one point that's being made over here, and then it just drastically stops, and another point is being made. And I submit to you the book of Acts is similar. And so you have to read with a little bit of a scholastic mind. You have to read with an investigative reporter kind of a mind and put all your conjectures and biases aside and just be objective and let, let the narrative speak for itself. And so a lot of folk who read it that way, they'll conclude, yeah, see, here's the Holy Spirit active, speaking, present, sign, wonder, miracle, healing, demons all over the place. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, stop. Boom. And see, no more Holy Ghost. So that's the average conclusion. I say the same. I say, yeah, the book of Acts has two portions, but two different points are being made. Point number one, bullet number A, message number one that Luke wanted to get across to his audience is that the Holy Spirit came upon people. And there was a work, and there was a going, and there was manifestation. And he writes chapter after chapter after chapter, a story making that point that when God comes on the scene, things happen. Okay? And of course, he's making the point with only a few examples, not all of the examples of the day. Only a few examples. But then at a certain stage... The point is made. We kind of get it, Luke. God is at work. But then point B, he makes an altogether different point. There is no Holy Spirit action in the latter part because Luke is trying to paint for you the internal character of the Apostle Paul. Here he's, in the initial point A, he's painting for you all the external manifestations of what, what happened. But then you will read, here, Paul gets locked up. 
Paul gets put onto a ship. Paul appears before dignitaries. And Luke is trying to point out a transformed person inwardly. Uh, he's pointing out Paul as the man of God that have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Because you will read that Paul is now a slave, but he tells the captain of the ship when to sail. Paul is a man that's in charge. Paul is a man of dignity. Paul is a man of command. And you'll see that this man has been formed into a person of authority. So I believe Luke is doing two points. He's showing you the external work, but he's also showing you the, the internal work in one man. So there is not a lot of narrative about the externals anymore, but he shows you this man who can speak before a king, a man who can appeal to Caesar without fear. Paul knew that he was going to be killed by Caesar because he was preaching a God contrary to Caesar. But Luke is pointing out that this co-worker of him had become a Christified man, a spirit-filled, transformed man, a man of character, a man of honor, who's not afraid. Even a snake bites him, it doesn't bother the man. He's trying to make an altogether different point with the remaining scroll that he had left to write. He made the point of the miraculous. Now he's making a point of the man. Yeah. It's not that the gifts, the miracles, God's actions stop. It's that he's making a point that the Holy Spirit also does an internal work in his people. Mm, an internal work. Yeah. Can you all follow with me? That's what I read out of it. You'll, you'll get this nowhere else. This is my own just observation. And then as I read the letters of Paul, I see how much emphasis Paul placed on the inward transformation of a man. While all of you still is stuck in the first 19 chapters of wanting action, the vast majority of the New Testament is trying to address your internal condition. Yeah. And I believe Luke picks up on that, and he writes a rather boring narrative. I mean, I challenge you all to go read it. You'll fall asleep in five seconds, because there's just not a lot of action. But there is an enormous amount of action, because God had gained this man. He was a man of God, a godly man. He is a transformed man. And then, ladies and gentlemen, do you know that the book of Hebrews, we believe Paul wrote, the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, uh, the book of Philemon, they were all written while the man was in prison. He doesn't complain once. He's not finding fault with the Jews. There is mercy in this man. There is grace in this man. There's authority in this man. There's revelation... It's an internal work of how God can mature a man in his character and in his person. So I want to say to you what I said yesterday. The Holy Spirit does, in a way, a twofold work in us. He has to do an internal work of making you alive, regenerating you, kind of like getting you started. And yes, He does an external work of sending you and empowering you and gifting you. and He does all of that. But I want to say to you, the one that our day and age overlooks is the internal work of the Spirit. 
Most of y'all just want manifestation. God wants a man. Most of y'all want a sign and a wonder. God wants the transformation of your inner man. If your inner man is not grown, stable, solid, your outer man will be destroyed by the mantle of God on you. So I would say to you young people, it's nice that you're eager for spiritual things, but what is your motive? Mm -hmm. Is it just to show off? Yeah. Be entertained? Sensationalized? Hype? I have many miraculous stories in my life. Many. But we know that those things will stop. We know that those things will cease. But what will remain is the gold that was formed in your being. That's, according to God, where it is at. Amen. I would say to all of you, do not have your eyes on the external things of God. Because there's, there's ways, the external things of God, number one, don't make sense. It's untimely. It, it, it just, it's inexplicable. It, it just, don't worry about the extremities. Yeah. I, if I were you, I would be bothered day and night with the condition of my own inner man. And Christ in you can do something about that. So yeah, the Holy Spirit fills you within to transform you. But then He will come upon you to move you. And yeah, He does all of that. Where is your focus, uh, men and women of God? We have more stories of folk falling and failing in the manifestation department because their inward department was not addressed. Will you please consider my words seriously? Seek the inner life with God and let the Holy Ghost, as He see fit, do the outward thing. Back in the book of Acts, nothing was coerced. and It just it, it happened. You couldn't script it. And I have the same view. I, I just don't want to force something. Y'all with me? But what I do want to force, what I do want to focus on is the condition of my character my soul, my inward man. And I challenge you to go read the latter portion of the book of Acts and critically examine the character of the Apostle Paul and you'll see a man after God's own heart. A man that was not ashamed or afraid. A man that could write and expound. It just He wasn't changed, but he was perfectly free. Nothing bothered the man. Nothing made him anxious. It just, he was not concerned about a thing. God had gained him in his inner man. That's the point I want to finish. This is spirit-filled living. Not that you can prophesy or preach or, or perform miracles or healings. What for me is paramount is that spirit-filled living has to manifest the fruit of a transformed you. Amen.